I'm on. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay, good, good. Um, first of all, uh, it's, I'm going to be teaching on the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, it's amazing to me, as I was looking for reference material and, uh, and books, there's very little information out there. Even in uh, John MacArthur's massive uh, biblical theology, he has a systematic theology, uh, he covers that in about eight paragraphs. And the great white throne covers in about seven or eight. So uh, there's very few books on the subject. And in my early Christian life, this was something that scared me to death, the judgment seat of Christ. And I had read a lot of different, uh, uh, at the time, I heard different sermons uh, occasionally and uh that was before YouTube or anything else and records, but uh, a lot of people got the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne mixed up. And you will see as we go through this uh, that uh, the great the great white throne is something for the unbeliever, obviously, and the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer, and it's all grace, just like the song we sang. It's, it's all grace, nothing to fear, but there is the fear of God that we should have all, always. That's the beginning of wisdom. And if you were going to, uh, there's just a, a sense of nervousness sometimes that comes with, uh, or tension, I should say, when it comes to future things, okay? It's like when you go to the airport, there's always some kind of a, something going on inside when you're leaving it's a type of death you're leaving you're going away from the country and you're saying goodbye and there's a day we're going to say goodbye for the last time to our to uh, some of the earthly friends that we've had but we never say goodbye to the Christian but have you ever heard the statement all religions lead to God this is kind of an Oprah Winfrey thing uh, and it's not anything new they've always said people said well it's like a guy guy's Religious leaders climbing up a mountain, they all get to the top, and it's the same God. Uh, well, this is it's not true, of course. All religions don't lead to God. In a sense, they do, and they all lead to the great white throne, because every single person living will stand before God. And uh, what's important is to be in Christ. That's the main thing. If outside of Christ, they're doomed. Inside Christ, we have grace, peace, love, joy, and we'll see that in abundance. So um, have you ever noticed sometimes even when you go to a funeral, everyone it goes to heaven at a funeral. It's like uh, who's ever dead, who's ever died. And, of course, you don't want to be disrespectful. You want to honor the, the memory of a person. But um, I had a stepdad who was um, an atheist, who was a, uh, a bartender. He was... Uh, he had a lot of problems, and I got saved, uh, and, and I, I got to meet him again and apologize for my actions to him, because he was my first stepdad, and it kind of gave him a hard time. But at his funeral, there was a Roman Catholic priest who didn't know him from Adam, and he preached a sermon that seemed to indicate that he's in heaven, that he was a great example for a Christian, and everybody in that in that congregation knew good and well that he was an atheist and knew every other word was a cuss word. <laughs> and now, I'm not saying he's not in heaven. I hope he is. I wasn't there when he died. Uh, my own dad was an atheist. Uh, and 
he got the, the gospel was presented to him over and over. So I don't know. Uh, I hope he's in heaven. But uh, there is a broad way that leads to hell, the Bible says. Jesus said that. And there's a, a narrow road that leads to heaven. So there's even a motto today in the postmodern world, don't judge me. You've heard that before, don't judge me. And that's kind of a, usually means in translation, just leave me alone and let me enjoy my sin. Well, the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. It's in Hebrews uh, 9.27. There was an illustration years ago of an old preacher back in the 1800s, a pastor of the church, and this guy always gave him a hard time. This one man wanted to argue with everything he said. And so uh, after church, he's trying to argue about that he didn't need repentance. And this minister just said, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this is judgment. And he wouldn't say anything else. The guy said, you're not, you're, you, I, I want to argue with you. You're not giving me anything else. He says, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this is judgment. And he just said that verse over and over. So the guy got mad and he got on his buggy and he was going home and he's going down the, the road and it's kind of it was dark and he heard the frogs croaking. And this guy said, he came back to, the, to that pastor the next day and he said, I was on this road and I was thinking about what you said. And all of a sudden these frogs started saying, judgment, judgment. And he said, <laughs> it seemed like every one of them was saying judgment. And he said, I was scared. And I went home and I got on my knees and I asked Christ to into my life. So um, the word of God is powerful and it will never come back void. It never comes back empty. Our words, our commentary, sometimes sermons may dissipate. Someone may forget that. But the Bible says if you give the eternal word of God to someone, mm. you quote them scripture, that's coming back. It will even come back at the judgment. It's in mm. his eternal word and it's the most powerful thing that you can say to a person. So in this mix, when I was uh, growing up and trying to understand what the judgment seat of Christ was, um, I, I, this is what I wanted to share with you because I, I want you to, to know that there's, uh, that it's very different, and I'll show you the contrast. But uh, there are several judgments mentioned in the Bible. Several of them occur. One is the judgment of Adam and Eve. Now, that judgment affected everything that we know. Adam and Eve, uh, with their sin, uh, that, that they wanted to be independent of God in the, in the sense that they, uh, they rebelled against God, it morphed everything in the world. Everything changed in a second. And uh, everything became the new norm. It was uh, in sin. And we are used to this now. This is something we live in. We live in sin. We live in the ocean of sin. And so we don't... Uh, we compare ourselves with each other. We go, I'm not so bad. And this guy over here, the murderer, the guy in prison on death row, you know, I'm much better than this guy, you know. But the fact is that we've sinned against the holy God. Mm -hmm. Even David said, you know, that uh, my sin was against you. Primarily, it was against God. And so this is something we have to deal with. So the judgment of Adam and Eve was a very significant judgment. There was a judgment of the antediluvian world, Noah, where God drowns the planet and uh, with his wrath, and he saves Noah by his grace. There's a judgment. Another judgment was the Tower of Babel, where um, mankind wanted to assemble in rebellion and become unified in, in, in his, in his uh, arrogance. 
And God shattered that idea into a thousand pieces. And uh, this is what, I mean, in a sense, this is uh, the origin of the speech, the speeches, <laughs> not the species, but the origin of the speeches. Because that's where the language is, the Bible said. Uh, uh, that one language that we used was confounded and became thousands of languages and people had to group together in diversity. So there's another judgment. There was a judgment on Egypt in the Exodus, which is one of the most famous ones, a, a great type of salvation. Uh, and Yahweh in the Old Testament was destroying Egypt's God one at a time of his people. There's a judgment in the New Testament of the believer's sins. The Bible says, and this is one of the most important verses, and thank God for Romans 8 that has kept me above water more than I think any other chapter in the Bible. Uh, the very first verse of Romans 8 is, there is now, therefore now, no condemnation in Christ. No condemnation ever. Jesus died. He died for our sins past, our sins present, and the sins future. Of course, back then we were just we were in the future. So he died for everything. There we do not, there's our judgment, the judgment of sin and his righteousness being imputed to us. We gave him, this is the great exchange. We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. So that verse you should always, you should, it should be stamped on your eyeball. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, there are other judgments in the church age, and that has to do with self-evaluation, uh, examining yourself. You repent the rest of your life. If you're really a Christian, you'll repent every day. You should repent every day. You may not repent every day, but God does convict you to do that. So there's not a person who, who, uh, who's a Christian who doesn't repent and repent and repent. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And because God has a divine discipline also, the church discipline and his discipline, like Ananias and Sapphira and, and other believers have been sometimes cut short. Even the Lord's Supper said uh, those who weren't worthy of that, who didn't, who were arrogant in their hearts and they strayed away from God. They were not to take the Lord's Supper until they, they got things right with God. And uh, so there is a discipline there. There's a judgment there. And the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, right? Okay, so today we're going to look at two judgments uh, in the future. This is in the future. And again, any uh, eschatology, which is a fancy word for future things, brings a little bit of tension with it. But I want you to listen carefully to what the Bible says, John 5, 24. You turn there. I want you to read this with me. Oh, you don't have to read it out loud. John 5, 24. Look at it as uh, you read. And then we're going to turn to Matthew 7. All right. Excuse me. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Okay? He does not come into judgment. And what does he mean by that? What is Jesus talking about? Because we just read in Hebrews that it said that it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So what judgment is he talking about? 
we'll see. The next verse is in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and this is the great white throne judgment. Here Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name or cast out demons in your name or done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The, the most horrible words in the Bible to anyone would hear, and there are people who will hear this. People who think, well, I was a Christian. I thought I was. I mean, I did this for you. I did this for you. And it has no bearing. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you gave your body to be burned and you didn't have the love of God, it's worth nothing. Zip. Mm -hmm. If you gave everything you had and gave it to the poor and, you, and the agape love of God was not motivating you, it was worth zero. Nothing. Okay? So God examines our motivation. He judges our hearts. But let's look at something else. Because we're going to focus primarily on the judgment seat of Christ. I am going to go into the great white throne just as a contrast, but I hope that this word judgment that we're going to look at, I hope that uh, we, as we tackle this, that it will tackle us the rest of our lives because we need eternity emblazoned in our hearts. We need to see this every day. We're talking to eternal souls. We're talking to people who will stand before God. It's, it's I mean, as sure as the sun will come up tomorrow, mm. uh, we will all stand before God, all right? But it's not the same. Here we go. The two different words translated judgment seat in the New Testament. The first one is a Greek word, kretalia, kretalia. Okay, that's used in James 2, 6 and in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, it's a word from the courtroom. It's drawn from the courtroom scene, and it means this. The place where judgment is given, the tribunal of a judge a bench of judges, or the rule by which one judges. We get the word criterion from this word, a criterion. This is, this is the standard, and God will be the standard, and Jesus will be the judge. That's, and so, uh, because all judgment is handed over to Christ. Now, the second word for judgment is the word bema, B-E-M-A in Greek. And Bema is, uh, it's a world of difference. It's a horse of a different color. It's entirely, uh, it's otherworldly. The Bema seat, and let me read to you, there's a book called Things to Come. It's an old book, uh, a classic book by John Walford, who's president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, I, I, I remember, uh, anyway, I remember him driving up in a beat-up old car, like uh, Columbo, just an old beat-up car going to... And I think he gave a lot of his money to, you know, to the poor. I don't know, but he didn't come in a fancy car. He was a great man of God. And he wrote a book called Things to Come. And in this, he says this, In Grecian games in Athens, the old arena contained a raised platform on which the umpire of the arena sat. From here he rewarded all the contestants, and here he rewarded all winners. It was called the Bema our reward seat. This is the reward seat. It was never used of the judicial bench. Thus associated with this word are the ideas of prominence, dignity, 
authority, honor, and reward rather than the idea of justice and judgment. And you know why? Because our judgment was at the cross. That's where our judgment came. That's where that great exchange took place. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. Give you a second to turn there. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Here we go. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, now listen. The, some of this, some have translated good or evil, good or bad. It may be good or bad in your translation. Uh, the most accurate in what the Bible is conveying here is either good or good for nothing. Okay, this is what the word bad means in the Greek here. Uh, Paul used an unusual Greek word. Uh, well, he didn't put it this way. There's a lot of the usual Greek words for, for, for bad or for evil. Uh, he didn't use those words here. He used a unique word that means this, worthlessness. And this is from uh, a Greek dictionary. Something that can be blown away by wind or burned up by fire. Something worthless that will burn away or be blown away. Right? So that's the idea right there. Walbert goes on to say this. Thus the judgment is not to determine what is ethically good or evil, but rather that which is acceptable and that which is worthless. It is not the Lord's purpose here to chasten his child for his sins, but to reward his service for those things done in the name of the Lord. Right? Which brings us to the big piles of wood, hay, and stubble the Bible mentions in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Okay? And then it's, uh, in fact, um, let me, we'll read that. We'll read that. Second, well, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm fighting this cough. I'm hoping not to be coughing too much. Uh, and here he contrasts in his verses the gold, silver, and precious stones. It may be in your translation like that. But, oh, yeah, by the way, wood, hay, and stubble comes from the King James, and I, I think it's in many translations, wood, hay, and straw. But stubble is a little is more accurate because the stubble is when they did the, the uh, uh, winnowing of the, of the wheat and the straw, well, Parts fell down. They they fell down on the ground. They were hard to pick up. They were sticky. They got they you know got on the ground. This is the stubble, like stubble on your you know face almost. It's just something that's stuck to the ground. It's worthless, right? That's what goes in the fire. So First Corinthians three says this twelve to fifteen. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work or what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone, anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Some people may be about the skin of their teeth, but they're saved. It's not a question of their salvation. At the, great, at the being seat of Christ, it's a question of reward. What you have done that is worth something or is worthless. Something that's good or good for nothing. All right? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, 
when the smoke clears, what's left standing, right? Um, what will be left? Now, you know, uh, wood, hay, and stubble, you can see that for a long way. I mean, you can look out in the field, you'll see a stack of wood, you can see a stack of hay or, or straw or stubble that they've gathered together. It's easy to see, it's above ground. And the precious stones, the gold and the silver, is something underneath the ground. You have to dig for it. It's not something that's obvious. In fact, you wouldn't even see it in the distance. You'd see the wood, hay, and stubble. So the idea here is those things that we have done in the flesh, those things that we've done on our own for Christ, thinking we're, we're going to work for him, when really we should be working with him. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to work. When you do something on your own for him, it may be of the flesh. And there are a lot of preachers and a lot of evangelists and everything else that's going to have a, little, a lot of wood hand stuff. There's going to be surprises in him because there are some... A pastor of a little church in the little town that he, for, he's been there for 50 years ministering faithfully will have more rewards than some evangelists with a huge mega church that's just preaching motivational teaching. You know, because God looks at the heart. Now, <clears throat> I want to show you there are five different rewards that's mentioned in the Bible. I'm just going to go through this. You know, I'm going to give you the verses. If you want to write these down, fine. But uh, there'll be a little commercial break right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. There's the victor's crown. The victor's crown is found in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. There's the crown of rejoicing. That's found in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. The crown of life, in James 1, 12, and Revelation to 10. And then there's a crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. Each of these crowns have to do with your witness. Uh, there's crowns, martyrs, people who had given their life, who've given their, uh, but those who have been disciplined and followed the Lord, all these, so many different kinds of crowns. And we're going to look at the word crown too. Now for a little commercial break. If you go to davidjeremiah.blog, davidjeremiah.blog, you can scroll down on the article. There's an article called What Kind of Reward Will Believers Receive in Heaven? You click on that, and you, will down, and you can download a beautifully illustrated booklet that summarizes the crown. It's called Going for the Gold. Uh, so that's a freebie. <laughs> you can download that, and you can study these, these very crowns that are mentioned, the five that are mentioned. Also, the best app for Bible study, the very best app, it's absolutely free. And this uh, book from davidjeremiah.blog is also free. The best app is one called the Blue Letter Bible, okay? It has so much. It has translations. It has an inner linear. It pronounces the Greek words for you. It'll pronounce the Hebrew words for you. There's an audio Bible that has several translations that will read in narrative form, or in a dramatic form with music and actors. You've got the uh, dramatic uh, version of the New King James, a dramatic version of the New Living Testament. There's so much more to this. There's this uh, parallel uh, uh, comparisons of scripture. There is so much to this, this app that it's a whole library of study. So those are the, that's the commercial. Now we get back to the three losers, Woodhead, Stubble. 
they, their cancellation is replaced by the three amigos, and that's the gold, silver, and precious stones, right? The wood hand stumble is something that we all will have. Every person, listen, even in the beginning of your Christian life, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff in, in uh, zeal, sometimes uh, without knowledge. But we, they will, everyone will have wood hand stubble, easy to see. And that's going to be burned up in the fire. And you go, what's a fire doing there? This is uh, the throne of grace. Well, the fire has two different meanings. The fire uh, not only is something that's destructive, but the fire is also that refining process. The fire is also something that reveals those precious stones. So the wood hand stubble go up in flames, and guess what's left? Those precious stones, the gold, the silver, that bespeaks of the Holy Spirit's work in you and through you. Because as you know, God wants you to pray, and everything that you do in him, you, you give a cup of cold water. And it doesn't mean that you have to say, this is a cup of cold water I'm giving you in Jesus' name. It says that, you know, you give anything, you give that, the same, you're doing it in the spirit of Christ. You're doing it because the believers go like, uh, Lord, when we do, we do this, you, you know, he said, when you did the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. They didn't even realize that they did this. And the others are, are saying, this is evidence that I've, that I've done for you, what I've done for you. And they're not Christians at all. When, Jesus, when God said, or when Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me, it means I never knew you, never. There was no, and the word no has to do with a love relationship. I, it's like Adam knew his wife. Adam knew Eve. He didn't just know about her. He knew her intimately. God knows his sheep. He calls them by name. There's an intimate personal relationship that he has with the believer. The unbeliever know, I never knew you, means that I never had that intimate relationship with you. You have to answer for your sins, every single one of them. So that's a very scary thing. But so the category is this. You've got the, uh, the wood hand stubble, you've got the precious stones. When what's burned up and gone forever, the wood hand stubble, those things that are left are the things that God makes the crown out of. Like he made it a tabernacle. He took the uh, lampstand and made it from one single piece of gold. The word for crown, Stephanos, in here. There's two words for crown in the Bible. Stephanos, which is a wreath, a victory wreath uh, that they gave the winners. And they gave the wreath, they put it on their head. It was like, you know, like a, a what, what you have hanging on the door, the wreath around your head. It's in a circle. And the other word is diadema, which is where we get the word diadem, the golden crown. Listen, <clears throat> let me read you from Vine's Dictionary of Greek and Hebrew Words. Stephanos denotes the victor's crown, a symbol of triumph in the games of some such contest, hence a reward or a prize, a token of public honor for distinguished service, men, uh, military prowess, etc. Or listen to this, this is very important, or nuptial joy at a wedding, and a lot of women wore the wreaths for, uh, with flowers in their hair, they still do this, they did this in the Jewish weddings years ago too. A festival uh, or festal gladness in, in uh, celebrating, and especially at the Perusia of Kings, when a king entered and they had these wreaths on their heads, as a, as, uh, and we're reflecting the image of God in all of this. So, this stands for an emblem of joy, these wreaths of reward, and for glory. Okay, 
Now, <coughs> this glory is something that's basically um, temporary for us. And this, let me give you, uh, let me explain. The crown itself, Revelation 4.10 indicates that we cast those crowns at his feet. Because we recognize then, if no other time, we recognize that everything that we did that was worthwhile came from Christ. So we throw these things at his feet. Um, the kingly crown is Christ alone, right? The victor's crowns are us. We use the word crown in the same capacity. But if you think of that for the Christian as the wreath, the victory, the joy wreath, the marriage for marriage, you know, the, the judgment seat of Christ takes place just before the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is amazing. It takes place. We know from Scripture that when Christ comes back at the second coming and the saints come with him, they're already rewarded. They've already got their robes of righteousness and everything else. But So we have placed that in, in that, uh, that that will happen before. The, the great white throne takes place after the millennium. So there's a different time situation entirely. But remember, um, excuse me, both judgment seats are about God's glory. God is the one who gets the glory. Bema seat is about God's triune, sovereign grace and his tender mercy. Tender mercy in his love. It's commendation, not condemnation, Right? The great white throne is about God's sovereign justice and his unabated wrath. And that is condemnation, not commendation. None. All right, that's a scary thing. Now, um, I want to read this another, uh, I hope you can, uh, I mean, uh, anyway, this is from Packer, J.I. Packer, a man who wrote a book called Knowing God. Uh, wonderful man of God and this was an instant classic if you had never read Knowing God you should have that in your library I promise you he says this this is from his book Concise Theology there will always uh, or there will be different degrees of blessedness and reward in heaven different degrees of reward all will be blessed up to the limit of what they can receive but capacities will vary just as they do in this world as for rewards, an area in which present irresponsibility can bring permanent future loss, which we just read in 1 Corinthians, two points must be grasped. The first is that when God rewards our works, he's crowning his own gifts. For it was only by grace that those works were done. The second is that the essence of the reward in each case will be more of what the Christian desires most, namely a deepening of his or her love relationship with the Savior, which in, is the reality of which all biblical imagery uh, of, of honorific crowns and robes and feasts is pointing. The reward is parallel to the reward of courtship, which is the enriching of the love relationship itself through marriage. And this is what this beam of seat of Christ is. We're rewarded and we're prepared before the marriage. And the marriage takes place right after. In Revelation 4.10, I, I told you the elders throw their crowns at the feet of Christ. So it will not be for the eternal glory of the recipient, but for the glory, eternal glory of Christ, who gave us this in the first place, who is the author of and the finisher of our faith. He was the cause and completer of our faith. He was, he's the perf perfecter of all of it. 
So um, there are a lot of uh, verses in the Bible, and we probably won't have time to go into this, but where it talks about uh, a glow, a brightness that, that uh, the believer will have throughout eternity to glorify Christ. And personally, I believe, and this is implied, I think, it's not specifically mentioned, but because we have, we are in the image of God and we reflect God's glory. You remember what Moses, what happened when he came down from the mountain? He was glowing. His face, was, he didn't even realize it, but he was glowing. Daniel 12, 2 and 3 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Matthew 13, 43 says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 1 Corinthians 15, 40-49. I'm not going to go through this whole, this whole piece, but it talks about uh, that we have a spiritual body, and that spiritual body reflects the uh, glory of God. So, I, like I said, I think even Adam and Eve were clothed in this light. They were clothed in a light and a glow that glorified God. And when they sinned, that light went out. Everything morphed into sin. Uh, instead of roses on a like a rose bush, they thorns. The thorns should have been roses, but they became thorns. The thistles on the ground should have been fruit, but now they're thistles that can hurt your foot. So the whole world became sinful in that sense. The whole cosmos was affected by this rebellion. So um, if you remember the transfiguration of Christ, Christ reveals himself just a little bit. He just lifts the veil a little bit and the light, it is so bright, so bright. They, they said that it was like the whitest that they've seen. They, I, I, it was, you know, like, I think uh, they mentioned that even uh, the best cleanser could make it clean. So there is a light that we reflect because God is light. So we reflect that. And the light of the gospel is the thing that we need to, to, uh, uh, to be bold in. Okay? Now, the great white throne judgment, <clears throat> I just want to mention is, I'm going to remind us of turn, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. And thank the Lord that this is not something that we're going to go through. If you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Christ, and he, the Holy Spirit lives within you, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank God this is the greatest news. We're not going to answer for our sins. Our sins have been answered. Our sins have been done away with. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are, are forgiven. You know why it says that as far as the east is from the west? Because, why didn't you say as far as the north and the south? Because on this earth, if you travel north, you keep traveling north, you eventually be traveling south. But if you travel east, you'll always be going east. You'll always be going east. So it is that far. It's an eternity of separation. Our sins are gone. Now, Revelation 20, 11 to 15 says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works 
by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Paul said, knowing the terror or the fear of the Lord, we persuade others in 2 Corinthians. So here's the gospel. Um, the gospel is when the history, history becomes real. When his story, you've heard that before, when his story, when I say history, his story redeems our story. When we're engulfed by his story, and that's all we think about. This is the gospel, and here it is in four consonants. B L D R. If you write that down, B L D R, it looks like builder. And we do have a master builder, someone who has built this from the foundations of the world. And he's building it into us, into our lives. And the B L D R also looks like boulder. And that's why we should become bolder as we are built up. We should be bolder in the gospel. But here they are. B stands for Jesus's miraculous birth. He was born. The incarnation. God became man. He was fully man and fully God. Then the life. B-L. The sinless life of Christ is important because he never sinned. Not once. No sin at all. So that he could give us that sinlessness. He died the innocent one for the guilty. The only man ever. The only one ever born without sin and maintained it throughout his life. The next one is the death of Christ, the sacrificial death. He died as our as the Lamb of God. And the last one is the R, the resurrection, the victorious resurrection of Christ. All this is the gospel. It's mentioned in, Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, uh, that's all we have to do. We sow the seed, we talk the gospel, we tell people that Jesus was God in the flesh, he was born, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, and he, re he was resurrected. So, in the process of sanctification, the sovereign builder makes us bolder. So I'm going to close with the words of Simon Barjona. And it's also interesting that his name is Barjona, which means son of Jonah. Because Peter was like a son of Jonah. I'm, I identify with Jonah a lot. Uh, there's a lot of wood and stubble in Jonah's life. And uh, Simon Barjona mentions this in 1 Peter 5, 6-11. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and by the way, he just got he just got through talking about the crown of glory given at the at the uh, judgment seat, at the bema seat, the reward seat. Think of the reward seat, not judgment so much. At the reward seat of Christ, he says this right after: "Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. He care, He doesn't stop caring for you." When you're at the, at the reward seat of Christ, his grace is there in abundance. And remember, we are then perfect. We are perfect. We will agree with God on everything he says. If he points out in our life and he's teaching us something, he's teaching us something about of his grace throughout our whole life. And the wood he had stumbled, we're glad. I mean, we rejoice when this happens. It's a time of joy. So... He says, be sober-minded. Don't be drunk on the words, the world's idols. The world has all kinds of idols they want you to get intoxicated with. But stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce on you. And he would like nothing better than to catch you napping. So keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. 
It's the same with Christians all over the world. But may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Jesus, to, in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, he himself will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for your word, and we are grateful, Lord, that what you have revealed to us. God, help us to be humble and to appreciate, Lord God, that you have given us your all, and you demand all from us. And, Lord, we just we want to give ourselves to you, Lord God, in uh, our whole heart, our whole life. <clears throat> we want to pray daily, Lord, our prayers that we will love you with all our, our mind, strength, heart, our soul, and that we will love our neighbor as ourself. God, help us to show your love. Help us to be uh, a warning, if necessary, to those people who are going astray. God, help us to love people where they are and, and love them with your love. God, you, you, we just depend on you totally. There's nothing we can do of ourselves. Everything that we do in the flesh is wood, hay, and stubble. But everything that we do with you and at your command, at your unction, at your, uh, everything that we read in your word that we do indeed, that's of you, Lord, of the Holy Spirit, is what we're rewarded for. And that is amazing. We're rewarded for the work that you do through us. And we want to cast ourselves at your feet right now and ask that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to live for you. Please stamp eternity on our eyeballs, God. Help us to be aware and to be alert and to love. In Jesus' name, amen.